Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for Gardenmore Presbyterian Church. Keep up to date on our website, gardenmorechurch.org, or search for us on Facebook. A couple of weeks ago in our ongoing series of sermons on the life of Joseph, that I hope you've enjoyed hearing as much as I have enjoyed preparing and preaching, Well, we began to look at chapter 45 of Genesis and this great family reunion that commences. It didn't begin before Joseph in the previous chapters was aware of how God had been working in his brother's lives and hearts. And he was persuaded that they had changed since they sold him and got rid of him as a 17 year old boy. And actually, this reunion is not just between Joseph and his brothers. Towards the end of the chapter and on into chapter 46, Joseph is reunited with his father Jacob as well. And the whole family is together once again. So when we looked at the first half of chapter 45, we noted last time how it was all about forgiveness. Joseph, the innocent party, extending forgiveness to the brothers who had sinned against him and how he didn't desire revenge or retaliation but genuine closeness and restored relationships and how in all of this our eyes travel forwards to how we are forgiven and saved by God's grace through faith in Christ and how our relationship with God is restored for time and eternity. So as we come to the last half of this chapter, I simply want to draw your attention to two things. One of which it would be easy to miss and the other which it would be impossible to. It would be very easy, first of all, to miss or to skip over what's said in verse 24, where Joseph tells his brothers not to quarrel on the way. Joseph was a very shrewd judge of character and over the years and particularly in recent months there's no doubt he pondered what would happen whenever he revealed his true identity to his brothers. For Joseph there was every possibility that his brothers would start to argue with each other the way brothers and families often do, and begin to apportion blame to others while they defend themselves individually as all of this truth came to light. Which is why his very specific instruction to them just before they make the journey home is do not quarrel on the way. Can I suggest the kind of thing that may well have been in Joseph's mind as he says this to his brothers as they were about to make the the journey which would have lasted a week or two back to Canaan to fetch their father. Reuben might well have protested. See when we get back to Canaan have to tell father what happened. I'm going to make sure that he knows that I stepped up to the plate to save Joseph's life. It was me, remember, who told you all not to kill him. I said, throw him into the pit. So at least one of us 
was concerned that we all avoid a murder charge. And on top of the capital nature of such a crime, it was me who didn't want to cause our father the kind of grief that showing him the body of his son would have meant. Well, don't look at me, Judah might have argued. The rest of you were going to kill him, but actually I was the one who really saved his life, not Reuben. It was me who suggested selling him to the Ishmaelites. I remember saying that he was our own flesh and blood and we shouldn't kill him for that reason. Then Simeon might have said, well, I didn't do it all by myself. If I recall, it took several of us to lift him out of that pit. Then Asher would have said, well, it wasn't me who took the lead. I only did it because one of you told me that I had to. And then Benjamin might have weighed in, well, I wasn't even there. And I didn't know about all of this stuff till, well, it was only a, a day or two ago. Don't you dare tar me with the same brushes you're all tarred with. Oh, shush up, you little goody-goody. You do nothing but gripe and complain all day. You're just daddy's boy too. You sound just like Joseph used to. And you'd better be careful because you know very well what happened to him. Do you see how quickly a quarrel can start and how words can be spoken in the heat of the moment that are the verbal equivalent of barbed wire that rips people's flesh and leaves scars, only it does it with people's feelings and emotions. And that's exactly why Joseph said, don't quarrel on the way. This family had only just started to reunite and he was making sure that the good work that had begun wasn't undone on the lengthy journey back home. And is this not just the most practical word of instruction for us today as we journey on our way along the Christian path? By all means, we're to have our own thoughts and we're to ponder and think and reason and believe for ourselves. But we are also to be careful always that we don't slide into that kind of combative and contentious disposition that brings nothing but discord and division and that ruins the harmony that God wants us to have and wants us to know as brothers and sisters in the Lord. I'm sure we're familiar with the words in the book of James chapter 4 that says this, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Perhaps it's one of your favourite verses, great words uh, from God about how we can face the enemy in the strength of the Lord and come out on top. But I'm going to read the entire passage in which these great words come and pay attention as I do so to the wider context into which James sets them. This is James chapter 4 verses 1 to 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, 
you do not receive because you're asking with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scriptures say without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but grants favour favor to the humble. Here are the words, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So those well-known verses about submitting to God and resisting the devil, and he will flee from you. They come in, in the wider context of, of James speaking about quarrels and fights in the fellowship of God's people. And just skipping through what James says is the antidote to this kind of dissension. This is what he says. I summarise, control your desires. Pray to the Lord. Be careful of your motives. Don't be friends with the world. Resist the proud. Continue to be humble. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to the Lord. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. And be optimistic in the Lord. Don't point the finger of, at others until you're sure that you're doing these things yourselves. And all that's the best way to avoid quarrels and steering clear of bickering and fighting and strife. You know, it's the work of Satan to sow the seeds that bear the ugly fruit of fighting, quarrelling and division in the church. And we resist him best when we do submit to God and humble ourselves along the Christian path and love each other and care for each other and minister to each other rather than quarrelling along the way. Will you remember that? Can I suggest that you would commit yourself to doing that in a purposeful and God-honouring way? Here's a word to us all today. Don't quarrel along the way. And then secondly, in verses 25 to 28, we read of an extremely surprised but extremely happy father because Jacob hears news, well, news that he really should have heard of 25 years earlier. This is the communication of really good news. I always think it's fascinating to observe people's initial reaction to news whenever it's news that they haven't at all been expecting. I didn't anticipate uh, the news that I was going to be a father at 23 years of age. I can remember it vividly. Uh, my initial reaction to the news was to stand speechless and motionless in the middle of Finnegy on the outskirts of Belfast for fully 15 minutes as the news sunk in. 
And whenever, whenever I'm the one who who has news about marriages or pregnancies, I, I love to be the one who breaks it to Zoe because I love to watch her reaction. It's usually a scream and then an exclamation, I don't believe you. Well, look at Jacob's initial reaction to the news that his returning sons brought to him. It's there at, at the end of the last sentence in verse 26. He was stunned. And like the King James Version uh, so graphically says, his heart fainted. In other words, he nearly passed out. And so would you if you were told that the son whom you'd loved and thought you'd lost 25 years previously, if you were told that he was alive and well in a foreign country and indeed had risen to a place of great prominence in that country's administration. If I could personalise it, that would be like, like me as a pensioner thinking that Catherine was dead only to find out that she was actually alive and well and had been appointed as the President of the Republic of Ireland. Now what a thought that is. And if it were true, then I'm pretty sure the hearts of the population of the whole island of Ireland would faint. But as the story began to be told from these sons whose lives had been touched in the most dramatic of ways in recent days, and as Jacob saw with his own eyes the carts and the bounty and the provisions that they'd returned with from Egypt, the cloud of fantasy and, and disbelief began to give way to reality. And verse 28 says, I'm convinced my son Joseph is alive. I will go and see him before I die. And those are words that Jacob would never have thought he'd ever be saying. And verse 27 uh, this this is beautiful. The, the spirit of their father revived. This old man quite literally got a new lease of life. The son of his love was alive again. It's almost a picture of resurrection. And it brings such joy and such elation to this great patriarch. And just two little points of application as we, as we draw to a close this morning. First of all, is, isn't good news such a wonderful thing? Good news really is a wonderful thing. It can make old people feel young and it can make weary people feel enlivened. It can bring a whole new lease of life. Angels in heaven rejoice when someone comes to faith, when hell loses and heaven gains. And on earth there's rejoicing too whenever someone becomes a Christian. I can remember a man in a church I was in once in his mid-50s becoming a Christian. His wife had been a believer for years and the people in the church had never stopped praying for this man, loving him and being a witness to him. And one day, and it was in the most undramatic of ways, he finally stopped resisting God's voice and he turned in repentance and faith to the Lord. 
And when he told the people in the church that day what had happened to him, the church was absolutely buzzing. There were people in tears over the good news that they'd just heard. And God's grace to this man. And there was such joy and such elation in the fellowship. Folks, let's, let's pray that that thing would continue to happen in our church. For people to finally stop resisting the Lord and to put their faith in God. Let's pray for such joy and elation to descend upon us for that kind of good news is really the best news ever. And then secondly, as Joseph was reunited with the son that he thought had passed away years before, isn't there here the great hope of being re reunited with those who have died in the Lord when we join them in glory? That's why Paul writes to the Thessalonians that we do not grieve as others grieve who have no hope. And the difference is that we know our loved ones who died in the Lord are, as Paul writes, absent from the body and at home with the Lord. And also that our reunion with them one day takes place when Jesus calls us home or, or when he returns to draw all things to a conclusion. What a wonderful truth that is. A truth that surely revives our spirits, even when we grieve and even when we mourn the loss of our loved ones, that they are at home in the presence of the Lord, in that place which is better by far, and that in Christ we are going there to share eternity with them. They're just a few steps ahead of us. So here in chapter 45, we see a family reunited. We see at the start of the chapter this extended uh, forgiveness. We see arguments avoided and a wonderfully happy father in Jacob. Rifts are being bridged. Hatred's giving way to love as God's saving and sustaining and keeping grace is poured out on this once dysfunctional but now thankfully functional family of God. Amen. May God bless the word that he has given us to all of our hearts. Mm -hmm.